Coming up on this best of edition of Girls Play Footy on RSN Carnival, we catch up with women's footy host Tiffany Cherry, author Nicole Hayes, former AFL commissioner Sam Moston, and AFL Europe's Lisa Wilson. That's all coming up on RSN Carnival. So this best of edition, what have we got coming up? As we mentioned, we'll be hearing from former AFL Commissioner Sam Moston. Uh, she recalled about how the AFL women's competition came to be, particularly at commission level. We also hear from Nicole Hayes. You may know her from The Outer Sanctum. She wrote a book, A Girl's Guide to the Stars of 2017. We'll be talking about that book a little bit later on in the program. And as well, we'll hear from Lisa Wilson after she was appointed a female development manager for AFL Europe trying to help promote the women's game over there in the Northern Hemisphere. But first of all, we caught up on episode one with Tiffany Cherry. She was the first ever female boundary rider when she was working for the original Fox Footy Channel. She was appointed as host of the Women's Footy Show on Channel 9 and some of those episodes are still available on YouTube. Just search for Women's Footy Show. And we had the privilege of chatting to her on episode one and we go back to that interview obviously by kicking off as always by asking Tiffany, how are you? Great, Peter. Thank you. It's uh, wonderful to be joining you. Well, we are counting down the days to the start of the inaugural AFL women's season. And, of course, Channel 9 are getting behind it with the women's footy show. Um, first of all, um, how did you become involved in this project? I was asked by Croc Media, the production company, putting it together, which is uh, owned and, and run by Craig Hutchison. So, funny enough, um, so Craig and I have been friends for many years and uh and funny enough he then obviously got the the gig for the men's show so uh yeah so we'll be bookending the uh the both the footage shows obviously from the start to the finish of the of both uh you know afl and aflw seasons but um you know, i've been involved in football for over 20 years i started out actually as a runner with brian taylor who was uh, coaching my then um former schools under 19 team Kerry, and uh, and that's pr- pretty much where I learnt the positions of footy because when I was uh, even a teenager, there wasn't even Oz kick for girls. So I used to just uh, love kicking the footy with my brother and, and obviously going to watch games and, uh, and and through school. And then I became a physio and I was the first female physio involved um, with Richmond Footy Club. And uh, to get the gig for that one, I actually had to give the coach who was John Northey at the time, a massage to prove that I was strong enough. So we've certainly come a long way in 20 years back then when I got that gig, uh, 22 years. And, and then, you know, as you said, uh, Fox footy followed and, uh, and there's been many and varied roles since. And, of course, uh, with yourself being the first female boundary rider on Fox footy, if we just go back uh, just over a decade ago, there was still very limited female voices in the football media. Well, even longer than a decade, it's 2001 is 16 years and, and first female, not just at Fox Footy, but across the board to be the boundary rider. I, I got the baton handover from Dipper and yeah, and there was, you know, there was a just a, a sprinkling really. Um, so Sam Lane was around and, and Christy Malthouse, um, you know, they were sort of obviously of my age and Caroline Wilson, um, who sort of pretty much led the way. And, but, you know, it's been wonderful to see, I mean, there's, there's there's almost no job now. Um, I mean, we're, 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 you know, the top top end jobs are still uh, dominated by men, but you know, there's a lot of young females now involved in the industry in, in many varied roles, and um, it is wonderful to see. And uh, you know, as it should be too. And of course, for you, you would have known a lot about men's AFL because, well, the information is everywhere. But for women's AFL, when did you first start to notice the women's game and how much interest did you have in it before, obviously, uh, now taking on this gig? I noticed it when I ran my own uh, radio show on SEN called The Hen House and um, the whole idea was to give equal voice to not just female sports, uh, you know, athletes, sports people, but also to other sports that um, got a pretty rough end of the stick you know, when it came to media coverage uh, just generally. So I interviewed... Um, back then, Daisy Pierce, and uh, and found out that Daisy came from the same country town that I come from, a place called Brighton, country Victoria, northeast Victoria, and and, I, and that, that sort of picked up my interest. Um, you know, my initial idea of women playing football was that it, it wasn't anything great. I mean, to be honest with you, that was, you know, probably now over 10 years ago. And uh, but I mean, how wrong I was. I then uh, played. 
probably about a year later, I played in the inaugural, the very first international women's football match um, at the US AFL Championships. And I was doing a documentary for then Fox Footy and uh, got tapped on the shoulder and asked to play. Um, you know, and I loved it. And I could see just the passion amongst the girls and, and pretty good skill. And then played in a couple of exhibition matches and just watched uh, the women then, you know, just uh, exponentially improve. And, um, and to the point now, it was fantastic to hear Gillian McLaughlin, you know, bring the, uh, the launch of the inaugural women's uh, football you know, coming forward from 2020 to, to this year. So it's exciting times. And, and I can tell you, you know, from all my experience, um, there, this has just been bubbling and re- ready to explode. And, you know, there are so many young girls out there who love the game and women who love the game. And uh, I can only see this being an absolute success in, in every way. And during the week as well, you had obviously a photo shoot to get ready to uh, prepare the promotion for this uh, program starting on Sunday, 5th of February. Um, you had the likes of Stephanie Kiochi, Melissa Hickey, Moana Hope, Katie Brennan. What was your first impressions of meeting them and getting to chat about them and, and learning about their life a little more before obviously you're going to share a panel with them from Sunday? Oh, they're all fantastic. I, I'd met Mel um, over the pre- preceding two weeks. I've been trying to get around to, well, obviously the all Victorian clubs as much as possible um, since I got back from from Christmas break. And uh, yeah, and and they're all they're, they're great great women. Uh, you know, massive passion for the game um, as much as you know as, as all the men that I've interviewed uh, over the last 25 years have been playing footy and and yeah it's, it's no different um, you know uh, they've all got wonderful stories I think that's actually the exciting part from a journalist perspective and a storyteller is that you know in the men's game so many of the stories have been told because there's so many journalists covering it whereas uh, for the women's game you know there's over 200 athletes out there who each have a unique story and and because of it's been such a hard pathway um you know there's they're, they're amazing inspirational stories so i can't wait to get out there and uh, you know and start revealing and telling these stories and and hopefully and no doubt inspiring another generation of uh, sports people coming through. And for fans that do tune in uh, each Sunday, what can they expect to see on the Women's Footy Show? Oh, look, it's going to be fun. You know, it's going to be laid back, but informative. Uh, as, as I just mentioned you know, previously, we're going to be revealing those unique stories. Um, obviously, we can't reveal all of them, but they'll be cherry picked, so to speak. And, uh, and you know, obviously, there'll be an analysis. We've got uh, a couple of the, of the guys. Um, Easton Wood he will kick off the show um, with his analysis of the games that have been played. So it's on a Sunday. So three of the games would have been played. And then there's the, um, the Melbourne uh, Brisbane match to be played at Casey Field Sunday afternoon on the 5th. So, you know, we'll have a preview of that match. So pretty much that'll be, um, you know, the format. It'll be different to the men's footy show, but there'll be obviously some, you know, similarities um, from the perspective of, you know, previewing uh, the, the games to come. Tiffany Cherry there, the host of the women's footy show. And don't forget to go on YouTube, uh, search for Croc Media, search for women's footy show, and you should be able to find those original episodes that aired. And because they put them on YouTube, we know there was a lot of great feedback as well coming from over in the UK and in North America. Another woman we caught up with is an integral part of the Outer Sanctum. They originally started out as just an independent podcast. They were picked up by The Age during the AFLW season and ran on their website and then later on were taken by the ABC and added to their stable of podcasts. We caught up with Nicole to talk about the book that she was launching, A Girl's Guide to the Stars of 2017. And like always, we ask Nicole, how are you? I'm really well. Thanks for having me, Pete. Great to have you and great to see this new book out, uh, previewing the stars of the AFL Women's Competition, which gets underway this weekend. Uh, First of all, how did the idea come about for this book? Uh, Alicia and I, as you mentioned in the intro, um, worked on From the Outer with Black Ink and Aviva Tuffield, um, one of the publishers there, uh, approached us to... um, you know, to come up with an idea, or she came up with the idea of um, doing some sort of aimed at children, some kind of um, guide to the new women's competition. Um, we started talking about it, and this emerged quite quickly. So we, we put it together really quickly. We wanted to be sure um, to get hold of the players before, you know, it was immediately following the AFL um, 
AFL season proper last year when they were all around for the exhibition matches. So we had to kind of pull it together fairly quickly. But um, once we got the interviews in the in the bag, we were good to go from there. And as you said, uh, this is a book that uh, you've purposely aimed at children. Obviously, if people are thinking about buying a gift, what, what age range? So it's 7 to 12 is the guide. Um, so that primary age is probably primary school age is ideal. And um, it's um, got some fun pictures on the illustrations and um, cartoons of the players. And it's uh, got some little quizzes and uh, facts sheets as well as some you know fun stuff as well as facts and stats so it's a real mix plus it includes um an interview with one player from each of the uh women's competition clubs so um all eight of them and you know because we did it quite early on there each of them's a marquee or an early draft player and from your early impressions getting to meet these women what, what was your thoughts about them their personalities and their stories yeah you know there were um some of them are real standouts in terms of just having really sort of fun um, and interesting ways of coming to football. I mean, that was what we were mostly interested in is that origin story. Um, and the consistent theme across them all was most of them played in a boys' team um, while they were younger because there weren't local girls' footy there of any, you know, not in their area. And so um, they were generally had to fight a little bit harder perhaps than everybody else to get a position and generally were met with some resistance early on but proved themselves um, and excelled within that within that context. And, and the other consistent theme that came across for a lot of them was um, around that age of 12 or 13, a good number of them had to stop, had to stop playing because there wasn't a youth competition for girls at all and the rules uh, stated that um, girls couldn't play with boys beyond that age. So the, a good number of them have, um, and this is right across the draft you'll find, um, you know, about four years gap between that sort of 14 to 18 age where they simply had to go and either find another sport or some of them went to umpiring or some other aspect of the game. Now, it's always like trying to pick your favourite child, which is always impossible to do. But if, if you look at the book, who's your favourite story? What's your highlight that stands out? Oh, okay. Well, that is really like picking my favourite child, although my eldest might argue that I've already done that. So, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I look, I think the standouts are the fun ones. So um, Darcy Vessio, who's um, the, the Blues uh, Carlton, um, she works there. She's actually designed their, their jumper too, their Guernsey. She works at the club as a, a graphic designer. She talks about one um, game, one before a grand final where she was so caught up trying to stay, keep her mind clear that she started playing Pokemon Go and, like, just traipsed around the neighbourhood. She reckons she clocks up 10Ks, approximately 10Ks, just chasing Pokemon Go to keep her mind off the, the pending grand final. Um, and when the siren bounced, she basically was exhausted <laughs> by the time the game started. Um, so that's a, a really fun one. Um, Daisy uh, Pierce, who we'd all know and who's going to be on TV quite a bit, I think she's got a few gigs around. She talks about having memories of, you know, those early memories of playing in the backyard with her brother um, where they both have used orange peel to make mouth guards and, like, run around trying to imitate the, the senior players with mouth guards in their mouths, with, you know, orange peel mouth guards in their mouths for some bizarre reason. Um, and uh, Katie Brennan um, lived on a property way out, um, gosh, I think at Brightway, and her and her brother would literally just take the footy and pack a lunch, like, just so they could go for the day and just disappear while her parents would be out looking for them, um, just to hide so they could play footy all day. So there's a whole lot of fun stuff like that. Probably one of my faves, uh, favourites is um, Sabrina frederick Traub who um, came to Australia when she was, I think she was about eight, and was introduced to footy at a shopping centre, like a mall, where there were West Coast Eagle players signing footballs. And her mum's standing there saying, I don't know what that is, but it's free and I want you to stand, <laughs> get in the queue and, and get one. And so she remembered being quite impressed by the rather handsome footballers who were signing um, footballs and fell in love, you know, well, probably, you know, at least got interest in the game. And then at school, that was her sort of way of breaking through. She was friends mostly with boys and they played footy at lunchtime. So she had the, the choice of standing on the sidelines and watching or getting in there and having a kick. And, you know, she got more than a kick, I guess. And now she's a Brisbane superstar, one of their marquee players. And, of course, she described herself a couple of years ago as the Jamaican-born English girl that went on to captain the Australian youth girls team. Yeah, yeah. She's a 
absolute superstar with the most unlikely of backgrounds. Now, another couple of things we just want to uh, touch on. Uh, first of all, if people are looking to buy the book, uh, where will they be able to buy it from? Can they buy it in-store or online? Yeah, both. It should be in... Uh, I- they are probably unpacking it as we speak. It's this week. It's due out sort of, I think, officially today. So um, if it's not in bookshops today, it will be in the next couple of days. Most of them have it. It's certainly available online. You can go via the Black Ink website or the um, Penguin website. But basically, you Google a footy girl's guide to the stars of 2017 and you'll find lots of outlets where you can um, either pick it up or order it online. Uh, Nicole, I should ask, whose bandwagon have you jumped on? Oh, see, I'm a big fan of Sabrina Frederick Schwab, so I'm leaning towards Brisbane, but I've got a very big soft spot for the for the Bulldogs as well. So, you know, I'm I'm going to be a bit of a free agent, I think, for most of this. This is the best of girls play footy on RSN Carnival. We caught up in episode two with former AFL commissioner Sam Moston. She was one of the key women behind the scenes pushing to ensure this AFL women's competition happened. Here's highlights from that interview, and you can find the full interview, by the way, on episode too when you find our podcasts online via Apple Podcasts or SoundCloud. I'm very well scored. Couldn't be better after the weekend we've just had. Thanks, Peter. An extraordinary weekend, the first ever AFL Women's Round of Football. But before we talk about present day, we need to talk about how we got here. And of course, you're one of the key roles being a former commissioner uh, at the AFL. You joined in 2005. And I guess the question we have to ask is, how did that all come about? How did you become an AFL commissioner? Well, it was really through the foresight of the late um, Ron Evans, who was a former chairman of the AFL, who back in, I think, around about 2004, started to talk to the club presidents about the fact that it just didn't feel appropriate that with half a fan base consisting of women and women all around the game, that there was no woman sitting in the commission and around the table helping to govern the game. So he instituted a process with the the club presidents um, to work out a way in which a pathway for women to join the commission and they had to go about it in a very particular way because there wasn't total agreement about actually appointing a woman to the commission a lot of the guys at the time I think thought you just let this thing happen naturally but Ron had great foresight and said no we have to make it happen so they amended the constitution of the AFL to open up a position for a woman to be appointed specifically to that role and after I was appointed they then closed that so that it was the only time that they had a deliberate gender only based appointment Um, And Ron then ran a process with a number of the presidents um, and looked all around the country. There were 10 of us around the country, I think, that were approached and he went through um, a pretty exhaustive process, probably one that might have been a bit more um, um, telling about where we were from and who we were than a lot of other appointments to footy boards. And in the end, it came down to a few of us and I was just incredibly lucky to be the last woman standing um, to get that appointment in 2005. Leading into that, were you keen to get onto the commission or or perhaps a bit hesitant, wondering, will you get shouted down or ignored because it's a a predominantly male commission? To be honest, it hadn't even dawned on me that I should have an aspiration to be on the commission. I guess that was part of the reason why Ron wanted a woman and then more women on the commission so that anyone who loved footy could have the same aspiration to be involved in the game at any level. So it hadn't occurred to me. When I was rung by a headhunter about the fact that the commission was looking... I almost didn't put my name in the ring because I figured it was sort of such a long shot and maybe not the right thing to do. But it was my dad who said, um, when I asked his advice, he said, you know, you've just got it. When you're given these opportunities, you just have to step up. And what's the worst thing that can happen? You go through a process, you meet a whole lot of really great people in football and you don't make it. Well, then you've learned a lesson um, and you might just get through. And so... During that process, I learned, um, I think the other women um, who went through the process as well, I think we all thought during it, we just wanted to be on the commission by the end of it. We learned so much about what the commission had been doing, what its role is in the governance of the game, and it became the most thrilling moment when I was told as I was joining. Um, I was very conscious that joining a group of all men and then a group, an even bigger group of all, all men with the presidents and the chief executives for the first couple of years, um, that I had to find a way to get my voice up, but I had to learn to listen a lot and understand the culture of football at that level before having an impact. If we flash back to 2005 and 2006 in that era, women were only playing state league football. In fact, uh, the best they could hope for, and we spoke with Nicole Graves about this last year, is when they actually had an uh, Australian International Rules Tour of Ireland. That was probably the peak they could get. Um, yeah. So so what was, what was the vision back then, 10 years ago, looking to any idea of a women's competition? Well, to be honest... 
just over 10 years ago when I joined the Commission, I've got to say, and this is no disrespect to my fellow Commissioners at the time or the Executive under Andrew Demetrio at the time, it just wasn't it wasn't in scope. It just wasn't a topic about the future of the game. There were other things going on about the future of the game, including the kind of possibility of new clubs, which subsequently occurred. There was um, there was good work going on with a policy around respect and responsibility and the inclusion of women and the, the respectful treatment of women. But I've got to say, there wasn't a really an active conversation back then about the future of women's footy in a, in a serious way. I think everyone took for granted the state leagues and the fact that there was this... Uh, national competition um, that was run by women around the country but at the commission table it wasn't a topic and I will be forever grateful to two women and that's Jan Cooper out of WA who was running the WA Football Commission's uh, women's strategy and and looking nationally about developing talent and the Marty Debbie Lee um, who together um, approached me and said in that first year of my commission will you come to one of the nationals will you present some um, medals and will you meet the women of football and we want to talk to you about where women's football just must go and those two women gave me the tip of of what what really lay beneath this extraordinary um, pool of, of women around the country that we just didn't know about at the commission. So from that moment, I decided I'd go to as much women's football as I could. I probably went to as much women's footy as men's footy over the course of my time on the commission. Um, then Linda Desso was appointed to the commission, the second woman, and so I had a, um, a kind of um, comrade in arms that we would go out to women's games all over the place as well as their other duties. And I just we just had to build a momentum and had to build the top the discussion at the commission and with the club presidents and with the club chief executives to try to get them um, interested in the idea of something much bigger than just the existing arrangements for women. And that then led to the creation of the exhibition teams from Melbourne and, and the Bulldogs. You know, slow start, but it was to try to prove the point that women could play at the most senior level and it was incredibly watchable footy and that people would come. And so, you know, it took, it's taken a decade to get to, um, through that process to where we got to on the weekend. But it was really, you know, the, the inspiration of Debbie Lee, Jan Cooper, and, and all the women around them over many years. Lisa Hardiman, um, you've already mentioned a number of the women, um, Nicole Graves, um, Shiloh Curtis, um, Julia Price. There were so many women doing this, um, but they needed a voice at the commission table. You mentioned about the uh, first ever exhibition game, which was, of course, 2013. Uh, when did you feel at the commission table that were starting to notice or start to, at least around the edges, consider the concept of a women's competition? Um, I think with the incredible support of the Melbourne Football Club and the Western Bulldog Football Club, so their passion, people emerging like Sue Alberti, who was putting her own enormous effort and money back backing this, um, and in the team at Melbourne, and, and her the appearance of these superstars in the making, like Davy Pearce um, and others, Katie Brennan and others, it, it just became, people got a feeling about it. And I think one of the big turning moments was for both Mike Fitzpatrick, who was then, the, you know, by, the, by this stage, the chairman of the commission, and Gil McLaughlin were actually coming to the games with their families. And then most importantly, coming down with me into the rooms to see the girls either before or after the game. And I think we had to break the barrier of um, men administering the game, thinking that somehow women think about footy differently or approach the game differently. And it was getting them down into the rooms to watch a group of women recovering from these incredibly tough games and to see that they were just like the men would be in the rooms afterwards. And so I think it would be absolutely fair to both Mike and Gil, once they got it, they got it deeply. And um, they were. it didn't take much then for Gil, I think, just to say... Um, he wanted to set a timetable and get out there um, ahead of where the commission might have been. So he announced the 2017 timetable for a, at least the start of a national competition without actually bringing it to the commission. Um, I mean, he knew he had general support, but that, that moment of just saying, I'm going to do it, let's not wait till 2020, let's go 2017. I think you'd have to ask Gil himself, but I think part of it was just he sensed the emotion, he sensed that there was something that the AFL hadn't yet tapped into in the in the fan base and the audience for this footy. And I think he felt a deep sense of respect for women footballers who until that point, I think, had felt quite neglected at the national level. Was there a bit of shock with the Commission once that date was announced that we're not doing 2020, we're doing 2017 and the enormity of the task to start a brand new competition? 
Well, I think the great thing about being on the Commission is you get to see how such a professional organisation like the AFL um, works. And you know, when you get leaders like Andrew Dimitriou, who had you know his own style and was able to go out ahead of things and announce targets and all sorts of things, you see that also in Gills. Different style, but a same um, degree of capturing the moment and saying, you know what, I'm just going to set a timetable and we'll work back from it. And I don't think in the end it mattered that it wasn't formally approved by the Commission because we had been we had been talking about this, we had been reflecting on the success of the exhibition games, um, we'd been talking to the clubs who were, were saying that we're ready for something, we're ready for taking another step and having the clubs help to develop the, uh, the pathways and to take control of teams. And I think... It was almost the most important thing that Gil did was just to say, you know what, if I don't set a date and get it out there, it, it won't happen the way we need it to. So I think in those moments, the Commission is um, is always grateful for that kind of leadership, um, careful that it hasn't sort of pushed us, or in those dates, and pushed us too far ahead of ourselves. But um, on reflection, despite the fact that we were all a bit sort of surprised, I think in the end we were just delighted that he'd taken that leadership um, and grabbed it and then put the commitment and his own resources of his team together with the clubs behind um, what you then see play out over last weekend. At that level as well, is there much consideration of what other sports are doing? Because at, around that time, uh, the Matildas were performing well, obviously, in soccer, even though the W League's still quite weak. Uh, we, over the last year and a bit, we've seen the uh, Women's Big Bash League uh, get ratings and primetime coverage. Did that almost force the hand of, if we don't do something now, we could be left behind? There's always that issue of competitive tension and looking around at what your um, fellow sports leading organisations are doing, and we were mindful of that. I think we also, and I think Gil and the and the Commission and Gil's team were very very conscious too that those exhibition games, particularly the last one where the television viewing numbers were just so staggering, you know, over a million people watched that on the Seven Network, and I think when the numbers came in. That's, that, sort of, that was a shockwave in to say, actually, there's a market for us in women's sport. Um, this isn't just a, a roll-off from um, the Big Bash or from what's happening in other sports. This is our product and people are going to come to it in big numbers. So I think there were lots of indicators. And, and AFL, I think, has always been very conscious of the fact that if you don't continue to invest in the game and think about where your future is, there's a huge potential for your market to be taken out by others. And, of course, if you think about soccer which has an international dimension. It has, we've got a you know, very, very culturally diverse community now with lots of people who arrive in Australia with a love of soccer and we have to introduce them to Australian rules football. So there's all sorts of things that mean that the soccer story and momentum was, was gaining a lot of traction. And importantly for families, girls and boys could see a future for themselves in soccer where only boys could see a future for themselves in Australian rules football. So all those things, I think, were factors in our thinking, and particularly for Gil, to say uh, we've just got to make a move and back ourselves into this and, and give it the right resources and do what the AFL does, which is do it professionally and bring in the clubs, put the resources into it, rely on the experts and then trust the market, trust the fans. I think it's safe to say coming into this weekend, all the supporters of women's footy had their fingers crossed, their toes crossed, that there wasn't going to be empty seats, there wasn't going to be a chance for the doubters to come out and say, look, see, we told you so. Uh, For yourself, Sam, what was your genuine hopes for the competition before this uh, extraordinary weekend of football? Well, I've got to say, if you talk to a number of the women who had been involved in this in such a long time, and I'm not just talking about me, I'm talking about the women who inspired me to give it a bit of a voice, but there are a group of us that would say we're not surprised. We we were probably very calm about the fact that um, all that we've been talking about over a number of years about both the quality of the players and the pipeline of talent coming and the interest in the fan base, we all sort of felt it was all ready to go and we trusted our instincts and we trusted the women. And so I, what, what stunned me was just the, the sheer scale of the numbers. I didn't ever think there'd be an empty stadium. Um, I was so glad when the, the decision was taken to move to Icon Park or Princess Park because I thought um, a smaller venue than that was, was going to be well and truly inadequate. So smart planning on behalf of the AFL to do that uh, during last week. Um, I think the people who, are, who find it surprising are those that really haven't ever thought about this deeply or hadn't been to a women's game before and hadn't seen the excitement and and, and hadn't read the passion that exists across the broader, um, not just the footy loving community, the community to come along and and champion women um, in these new roles. So I was overwhelmed with excitement and um, delight for the players 
and for all those women who worked so hard for this, that people did come out in such great numbers. Um, but I wasn't, but I, but I never had a fear that no one would turn up because I think that's, if you've been involved in this for a while, um, as many of your listeners have, um, and you know the history of how many great women, hardworking women, unsung heroes, have worked on this. We all had a sense that um, we were tapping into a group of people who were just waiting to be respected and waiting to be put on that stage. Well, of course, you're no longer on the AFL Commission, so we can ask you, I guess, from your personal point of view, where do we go from here? We've had such a great start in round one. What is at least the short-term future for women's AFL? Well, the short-term future, I mean, I, I, I can't speak on behalf of the AFL at all, so I'm not privy to what deliberations they'll have this week when they, they review what happened over the weekend. But as now a private citizen who just loves the game, um, what I'd say is we have to build on the success of this weekend, I don't think we can expect to see quite that level of momentum um, continue to grow at that level. I think what we see is um, people coming to this um, this part of the game now in very, very good, strong numbers, but getting to un- understand where the game fits relative to their, the other footy they're watching. So we've got to be ready for, a, a, you know, this next eight weeks will be thrilling and exciting. There'll be a brilliant grand final. Um, and then we've got to prepare for the next season and make sure that um, the pathways are committed to that the clubs that are already licence holders continue to support the, the girls and have all of the processes in their clubs to keep doing that, that the provisional licence holders get a sense of what that means for when the next two clubs can come along um, to, to build it to a 10-team um, a um, competition. And then I, I, I would imagine the Commission will work with Gil to work out over what period of time you build to a, um, a bigger number of clubs, eventually, I hope, to all clubs. And, in fact, Jan Cooper's words to me back in 2005 was that the brand vision should be a fully integrated women's competition using um, the then 16 clubs, now 18 clubs, um, as the home of, of women's and men's football. Now, that's going to take several years, I think, because you, if, given the standard of football we saw over the weekend, it's going to take a few years to make sure that the talent pools and the opportunities for young women who are coming across from other sports or are coming up through the ranks um, and through the, the various state competitions are at the re- are there ready to start filling those new teams. So it'll be, um, I think it'll be a measured, deliberate uh, approach that pays honour and respect to all the women who want to play at that level. Um, I, I suspect there'll be a conversation about funding of it, although we've now seen so many new sponsors come into footy who've never sponsored footy before, so there's a whole new market of sponsors. There's a new market of fans. A new, there's a whole new base of people taking out club memberships based on AFL women's. And um, and I think there'll be lots of reflection on um, what does this mean over a 10- or 20-year journey, just as it was for the men when the VFL became the AFL and became the great national competition we have today. So I think they'll do it in a very considered, deliberate way, um, but not lose any of the excitement and commitment to all the women involved. Sam, just one last thing before we let you go. Can we have a tip for the flag and the best and fairest? Oh, oh my goodness. I'm not going to touch the best and fairest, to be honest, because I just think we're going to see some spectacular um, women emerge. You know, there were new names jumping out of us um, on, you know, across the, the whole weekend, names that we weren't expecting to see, like um, Darcy and um, you know, Mark Murphy at Carlton described her as the best number three at the club. Um, you know, in a way that says you've got these emerging talented women we, we hadn't recognised before. Um, of course, a number of the girls are already known to the community, Mo Hope and Meg Hutchins and Daisy Pierce. I mean, I could go on and on. But I think we're going to see some people emerge where um, they're going to really come to the fore over the next eight weeks or seven weeks to go. So I'm not going to call the best and fairest. And I've got to say that I got very confused over this weekend because there were some some remarkable things going on um, with the standard of, of play and with, I think, some of the favourites. And the Bulldogs got to have a great win um, against the Dockers, but the Dockers came out in that first quarter with some of the most skillful footy. Um, so be interested to see what the Dockers do in the next few weeks. Um, Carlton surprised us, you know, with its um, it's just sheer brute strength and and and, devote, and, and um, excitement of the game on Friday night. Um, Adelaide, they were all just producing outcomes that we were all just so delighted to see. So I, I don't think I can even call the winner. I, I, all I hope is that the AFL puts on a wonderful show for the grand final and thinks about what that will mean in a historic sense to actually watch those final two teams play for the first Premiership Cup for the AFL Women's League. Um, and whoever those two teams are, they'll be doing it on behalf of all the women across all the clubs who were the, the history makers this weekend. 
Sam Mostyn, thank you very much for joining us here on Girls Play Footy. And, of course, uh, we wish you all the very best as a private citizen as you either go to the ground at set at home and watch women's footy. And thank you for all that you do for uh, women and girls in footy. It's, you know, you, you've been onto this for a while and um, this is the future of footy. You're listening to the best of Girls Play Footy on RSN Carnival. The women's game has been developing fantastically overseas. We're seeing such great growth in North America and in Europe. And one of the women helping push the game along in Europe, she represented the GB Swans at IC17 this year, is Lisa Wilson. And she was appointed to a female development manager role. And we caught up with the earlier in the year to ask about her position and what she was doing to help grow the women's game of Aussie Rules footy over in Europe. Thank you. It's uh, great to be involved in AFL at the highest level I can be over here in Europe and I'm really looking forward to being able to have as much influence as I can over footy here. So can you explain to us uh, at home here in Australia, what does the women's coordinator role entitle at AFL Europe? What will be your responsibilities? Footy for women in Europe hasn't really been around for that long. Um, We've had girls playing dotted around uh, the continent for a few years so there's been girls playing up in Scotland for around seven years obviously the girls have been playing over in Ireland for a while but in mainland Europe so um, France and Scandinavia it's really sort of a, a, a new sport and they're sort of jumping on with with the men's teams that have been around for a while so really I've, I've um, been brought on to try and increase the participation of, of the women playing across the whole of Europe but also to strengthen the, the current teams that we have um, so mainly this year looking at getting Ireland, Great Britain and the European Crusaders team over to the International Cup in August. That's going to be a big task in itself. But let's just focus in on the moment uh, into the European area. I know, for example, that uh, we've got coming up on the 11th that uh, the AFL London Women's League's having a big uh, tryout session to try and get those uh, new to join the game. I guess is that the type of thing you're looking at to happen in France, Denmark, Germany, etc., to try and start building to these tryout days, to hopefully start building to, let's say, two teams in every country to try and start building up slowly? Yeah, so really the the taster session that we've got on Saturday, we set that up because we've seen a massive growth in, in football in London. So for the last two years, we've had four teams playing. And due to the success that we've had with those four teams, we're actually going up to eight teams this year, um, which is going to be three new clubs and then one of the clubs is fielding a second team. So really, you know, we're, we're jumping in numbers hugely there. And so we decided to do a bit of a recruitment drive to see if we can uh, get more girls playing across all of these eight teams or seven clubs. And, and really on my own agenda, I was really looking to try and see if he were, we could recruit some for more Brits for the GB Swans and also to see if we can pick out any elite girls. Um, so, yeah, one of the aims that I've set down for, for this year is I, I want to get some taster sessions around across the continent. Um, we've already penciled another one in, which is actually going to be in, in Wales, um, because the, the Welsh uh, chairman has contacted me saying that he, you know, he really wants to, to grow the sport over there, looking at getting a Welsh team to the Euro Cup this, this um, August. Uh, oh, no, it'll be in October, sorry, in, in Toulouse in France. And, and also uh, one of the other countries where we've had a couple of uh, girls get in contact is, is in Germany. So I think Germany is going to be another, another one of our, our focuses. Um, but of course, the, the, the countries that have already got these, these pioneering girls um, going strong, so France and, and Denmark and Sweden, I'll be looking to help them out with, with recruitment drives where I can. I guess one of the advantages of the European continent is that the countries are obviously so close. As you know, an hour or two trip uh, between countries is uh, quite common. And I guess that also presents the opportunity that uh, you don't have to uh, have clubs technically playing within their country. They can play their neighbours next door because it's not that far to travel. Yeah, so for example, the Scandinavians tend to travel across their borders quite a lot to play against each other um, as the, 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 they only have one team each and they tend to be the sort of national representative team as well. So they're often, they've had a bit of a league trying to go with the, the Danish, famous Swedish and, and, and the and Norwegians. Um, but really, as much as that is you know, a positive, it can also be a bit of a negative because we need to make sure that we're not getting all the girls flocking to where the, the strong leagues are we need to make sure we're setting up new leagues 
for example, in, in England, we try to avoid too many people coming down to London because that will detract from us trying to grow the, the league that we want to build in central and northeast England. Um, so at the moment, we're trying to develop a, a Manchester team and a Nottingham team and um, a Newcastle team, for example. Um, but yeah, so it is a positive because it means that with tournaments, it's easy to get more teams there and we, we can play against each other. But we also need to make sure we're focusing on trying to grow them from their own countries uh, getting as many nationals involved as a sport as possible because that's, that's the way to grow it and make it sustainable. And you did mention Nottingham. They just uh, had last Saturday their own taster session. How did that go? Yeah, it sounds like they had quite a few new girls down. Um, but we're finding more and more lately that we're recruiting more girls than we are boys at some of these sessions. So um, that's really good by them and they should be building, building um, a full team soon. And um, they... The, the team's made up a lot of uh, some of our strongest GB Swans players and so they've been recruiting a lot of girls from their sort of soccer team and um, so it's really good to see them going from strength to strength and what Laura's doing there is amazing I think she'll be setting a bit of a plan up that will the other clubs in, in England and hopefully will share it across Europe as well can use in, in a pathway to build up their clubs. Of course, the AFL women's competition kicked off last weekend. The great news is being shown for free overseas, uh, uh, streamed online via uh, watchafl.com. How important is that uh, for you trying to recruit players overseas that you can point them to a website and you can show them, here's the vision of matches of women playing football at the elite level right now? Oh, it's, it's huge. It was such a momentous occasion, occasion for us here. The, the GB Swans girls have been talking about it for ages. We've um, we've been watching the practice matches or listening to them when we can and discussing what, what we see. And um, I actually took the day off on Friday to, so that I could watch the game because obviously it's it's in the morning here. Um, and we've, we've got a, a tipping account as well between us. Um, but yeah, it, it's 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 so good to be able to, to share with with anyone to to see these girls playing. And um, I work in a in a company that's very dominated by women and I've shared it um, across across them and they're, they're all amazed to see the, these girls playing at, at such a high level um, and yeah it's a, it's a real selling point um, we've got a bit of a target I've been working with AFL England's performance um, lead Jason Hill uh, trying to contact more universities to get elite athletes um, so that's something that we're going to be working on and when we can show these uh, head of performances at universities that there's actually women playing at this high standard it's something that they can actually look at and go okay you know there may be opportunities for, for our elite girls here um, so yeah we're, we are all loving it over here and I just can't wait for round two you alluded to earlier about the AFL London Women's League. Of course, um, it kicked off a couple of years ago. Four teams It got stronger last year by having those four teams all being able to field 18 sides. This is proper football as opposed to the US where they play a lot of uh, nine-a-side uh, footy. Um, and now, obviously, you said you want to go for an 18 competition. What have your tactics been like to try and reach out and find women? Obviously, we know there's a lot of Aussie expats overseas, but obviously trying to find British women and uh, women from Europe that have located uh, to the the UK to take up this game? Um, any means possible, <laughs> to be honest. We uh, one of the we found that one of the biggest is, is, is word of mouth, really. So for our clubs, it tends to be everyone asking, you know, colleagues at work, or it, it tends to be that girls play a lot of other sports. I think I think it's a well-known fact that girls tend to play a, a larger range of sports than, than boys do focus on one. So we have a lot of girls who, in the winter season, play football or rugby or basketball, and then they will come and play another sport at, at summer. Um, so that's one of the focuses that we've had, is trying to look at these other sports and seeing if we can bring them over to, to play AFL. Um, and then also, you know, social media is, is the biggest tool that we use and we've been reaching out to, to anyone we can. And, I mean, as I'm sure it is in Australia, there's so many advocates for, for women in sport here and, and our women in sport network have, you know, tweeted the event and I've been along to a couple of these events to try and network with, with other uh, sports to see how they do it and how they're growing it over here. Um, so really just, you know, trying to get my fingers in many pies as possible and use as many channels as we can to, to bring girls over to the sport. And I think we have a really high retention rate. When girls tend to come and, and play the game, they, they really enjoy it and they stick around. So that's, that's a real positive we can take. 
I guess the one thing we also need to touch on as well, as much as we've been talking, uh, again, in Canada, the US, and now in uh, England and throughout Europe about uh, players joining the game, what has it been like to try and attract volunteers? Because obviously we need the umpires, uh, field, goal, boundary. We need the water carriers. We need the committee members. How's it been trying to find the people behind the scenes? Well, um, at the, the club that I play at, the Wimbledon Hawks, um, when we're talking about behind the scenes, we really have one woman who pretty much runs the whole show. Um, she's, she's called Sarah, and she's amazing. She's been doing it for the, for the last couple of years. Um, she got involved because her, her husband was involved. And, you know, the amount of effort that she puts into it is, is incredible. And, and she just does it because she loves, you know, um, pushing the sport for the girls and, and the guys as well. But I think she's really enjoyed having the women's team over the last two years. Um, in terms of uh, umpiring as well, last year at our pre-season cup, the, um, the, the president of the club who ran this pre-season cup uh, made a, um, made a, had an idea where he asked as many girls to umpire one or two games and if they did he gave them drinks vouchers for that evening and so there was a small group of us that were like well you know for a few drinks we can try out umpiring um, so I, I umpired at that pre-season cup and then um, last last year I umpired nearly every weekend I, I injured my son so I ended up doing that often and I think um, seeing when, when girls have seen another girl umpiring it, it gets them we're slowly growing the, the, the number of female umpires. And just recently, we've had a, a girl contact us who's been um, umpiring for nine years in Melbourne, and she's just moving over to London, and so she's going to get involved with, with AFL London. So I'm really excited to meet her because I think that would be really good to get, to get more women on board. Um, and, and with coaches as well. So uh, the Hawks, again, we have two female coaches this year. Uh, the, I know that the Wandsworth Demons have a, a female coach. The, the Giants have had a female coach for the last two years. Um, and when it comes to our national teams, obviously we have um, Lauren Spark, who is the, the GB Swans assistant coach, and the England Vixens had two female coaches as well. So the, the figures across the whole board but for women is it, just insane, and it's only going to get better. And have you been able to use that as a selling point? You mentioned the name Lauren Spark. Lauren, of course, was uh, recruited by the Western Bulldogs. Uh, Kate Shearlaw was recruited by the Carlton Blues. Both, of course, uh, even though Aussies technically recruited straight out of the Wimbledon Hawks. Yeah, yeah, Kate, Kate especially. So you know, if we if we saw Kate's name on a on a on a team sheet, it would say that she's come from Wimbledon Hawks. Uh, frustratingly for us, uh, Lauren has decided to put a Melbourne Uni down most of the time, but we we need to get someone to change that to Wimbledon Hawks because you know she's she's one of our um, biggest stars we've had. So, um, but yeah, that, that, again, that, that's one of the things where you're saying it makes it realistic that this could be a pathway to elite sport for some players that. Kate only ever started it over here. We, we put that compilation video over together and she got drafted as a rookie. And, and we're really hoping that um, at IC17, the teams are going to be um, sending scouts to the competition because we, we would absolutely love to get some of our girls um, taken on board. And I think it's amazing how much the AFL looks at international players and, and brings them on as rookies. So um, hopefully they can follow what they've been doing with the men and we can, we can get some women over there. Uh, we're hoping as well. It's not not because a lot of the focus has been placed on the Irish, but we, you know, we've got elite girls of of, of all of all countries here. Um, for example, I was at a tournament the other day, and there was this six foot two Estonian girl. I think that's something like one eight eight centimeters or something, and she'd never played before. And she picked up the ball, and she, we put her in the rook, and she was absolutely amazing. So. If we can show these girls that there is a pathway, which we can, because we can show them the examples of Kate and Lauren, then you know we're going to we're going to be getting the, these elite girls in. And, uh, of course, as well, the AFL, at least at the men's level um, in the US and in Ireland, have had these um, testing sessions, or you could call it mini-draft camps, where they've taken athletes from other sports and they've done the beep tests, they've done the jump tests, um, etc., to see if they can convert an athlete uh, from over there into playing Aussie rules. Is that something you're hoping for on the women's side? I know they are in the US, is to try and hold these type of uh, AFL official testing sessions over there to see if we can, you know, uh, prove that they are of that quality? Yeah, so we've actually, we've done one. Um, so two weeks ago or three weeks ago in, in Sheffield, we, we organized one for the GB Swans. Um, the main reason was it was a, a, to benchmark a lot of our girls so that we can look and see our improvements. Um, but it's also to, you know, show that 
uh, Great Britain, AFL, and um, soon to be Europe as well, are, are really serious about trying to find elite players. And by having this first testing session, which which was a success, and we got some good results out of, we can start making these plans of how we can um, hold these sessions in, in other countries across Europe. So we can start getting some data that we can hopefully share with with um, AFL Europe. So I know that there's plans to try and do a really big um, European-wide testing session uh, sometime in 2017. The plans are in the really early stages at the moment, but it's something that we will we'll definitely share with you when we, when we work out more on that. And, yeah, it's, it's definitely something that's in the pipeline. Uh, we spoke recently with Berenger Portel from France, of course, who's uh, heading up with the European Crusaders who want to come to uh, IC17 in August. And, of course, they've put their Make a Champ page out there. And when you crunch the numbers, it's like €70,000 for the full squad to be able to fly over and stay in Australia for a while and compete in the tournament, which roughly converts to about $100,000 Australian. Uh, for also, for the GB Swans team and the Irish Banshees, uh, what has the, uh, rec- the fundraising been like so far to try and uh, meet these costs to be able to fly the whole squad down? Yeah, I mean, that €70,000 probably doesn't take into account some of the personal spends and, and whatnot that the girls need. I think for the for the, the GB girls, we know that we've, we've penciled in about £2,000, um, so that's probably €2,500, €4,000, I suppose, for just for the flights and the kits and the, the accommodation and then obviously the personal spends on top of that. Um, we're, we're really lucky in the sense that um, we've got a very tight bond with the men's team, the Bulldogs. Um, we have a fantastic team manager, Jason, who has been working tirelessly to, to pull in sponsorship. Uh, we've, we've had a, a couple of um, minor sponsors pull in, but the, the pathway that we've uh, taken at the moment is to do a sponsorship raffle. So we have raffle tickets that we sell for uh, £100, and companies or individuals can um, buy as many of these raffle tickets as they want. And then you know, uh, prizes one to four or a different sponsorship um, places on our shirts and website and whatnot. So it's a it's a quite a, a novel way that we've heard has, has worked before for other teams. I think Ireland has done that in the past. So that's the route that, that Great Britain are going with. Um, I can't speak for Ireland. I'm not sure what, what their plans are at the moment. But given that this is not their first IC, I'm sure they've got some plans in place to make sure that the girls are all catered for. Um, but we're, we're really hoping with, with the growth of uh, women's football across... Uh, well, just women's sport in general across, you know, Europe and the world, that there's going to be more and more companies that want to get behind this when it comes to their corporate social responsibility. And we're really reaching out to as, as many people as we can, and hopefully we can we can get sponsorship on, on any forms, whether it's as, as players or as a team. Um, but, yeah, we're, we're all, always, always looking for help. Um, so, you know, we thank, we thank you for every time you share our social media because it, it really does help. And Lisa, just one last thing before we let you go. A quick plug again for uh, those that uh, might have friends over in the UK or be listening over in the UK. Uh, what about this AFL London Women's League uh, taster session uh, tryout day coming up this Saturday? Yeah, so it's, it's um, at Victoria Park at 1pm. Uh, it's going to run for about two hours. We've, we're going to have uh, representatives from, from all the clubs there and we're going to be going right down to basics. We're going to do some skill sessions um, and then you get a chance to, to speak to the different clubs and we'll be sending out information afterwards. Then, then after the session, we're going to head to a nearby club and we're going to stream the, the most recent game that will have happened that, that morning for the girls to watch so they can put what they've seen um, they've played on the field onto a big screen and see how you know how that translates. So, yeah, if we can get people sharing the word of that event, that, that'll be absolutely amazing and, and hopefully it means that We'll be putting out um, eight to 18 aside teams every week this year. And that concludes our best of the girls play footy here on RSN Carnival for another week. We'll have more best of interviews coming up each week, Wednesday nights from about 6pm Australian Eastern Daylight Savings Time. Or you'll be able to find the podcast version of this show by going to Apple Podcasts or SoundCloud during the week and searching for girls play footy. And there you can find all about 80 odd previous episodes as well. Until next time, I'm Peter Holden, thanks very much for your company, and it's bye for now.